God, today we sever connection with the old and instead we cling to the new. We refuse to allow the enemy to cause us to operate in shame and condemnation. We break from the past and we cling to the one who has empowered our present. God, today we say help us. Renew our minds, encourage our hearts, that we would live lives that would walk in such a way that they would honor the high call of God, which is in Christ Jesus bestowed upon us. Father, we love you. God, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friend, if you're here today, you like prayer before you leave, I'm going to invite you to these altars. I'd sure love to add my faith to yours to see God do a miracle in your life. If not, God bless. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for church. We'll be back here next week. Would you invite a friend? Come on, let's help build the house of God together. We'll see you real soon. God bless.
forward to a great day. And uh, and that's all I have to say. I run out of run out because you know I wasn't prepared at all for this. But doing my best to give uh, give the guys some audio. Come on, let's put our hands together. There are two things that I seek To behold your beauty, Lord yeah. And to dwell in the house of the King Come on, let's sing that together There is one thing that I ask There are two things
worthy in this place. Oh, he's worth all of our praise, all of the honor, all the glory. Everything we have, he's worth it all. He's worth all of our worship, all of our song, all of our energy, all of our power, everything that we've got. He's worth all of our mind. He's worth all of our strength. He's worth all of our faculties. He's worth all of our clapping, our shouting, our honor, our glory, everything we have. He's worthy of it all. His name is powerful. His name is mighty. His name is great in the earth. There's a name that levels mountains, carves out highways through the sea, and I've seen its power unravel battles right in front of me. There's a faith that stands defiant. Yeah. Sends Goliath to his knees. <laughs> I've seen his praise unravel shackles right off my feet. Yeah. Anybody free in the house today? Listen, because that's the power of your name. Just a mansion makes a way, giants fall and strongholds break, and there is healing. Yeah. By the power that I claim, it's the same that rolled the grave. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. Yeah. There's healing in your day. There's salvation in your day.
Worship your holy name this morning.
in our lives. We are rehearsing his faithfulness, which reaches out to every generation. We are reminding ourselves this morning that our God still saves, he still heals, he still delivers. If he did it before, he'll do it again. And friend, he is not done yet. We are the redeemed of the Lord and we are saying so. We're saying my soul, it will magnify the Lord. My heart will give him high honor and high praise. My mind will be set on things above. My body will be healed. My life will be renewed. My family will be restored. We're just here this morning to rehearse and declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. Friend, the enemy thought he had you. Darkness thought it controlled you. Demons thought they afflicted you. Curses thought they defied you. But in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus and he took you up out of the grave. He rescued you from the miry clay. He set you on a firm foundation. Oh, you got a reason to celebrate this morning. You got a reason to sing this morning. Because every day is a good day when you've been raised from the dead. Come on, we're going to sing it again. Come on, declare it. Declare it over your family. Declare it over your kids. Declare it over this region. Declare it over the Northwest.
taking a minute to say hi to a friend on the way back to your seat. Thank you so much for joining us here at Pursuit. Pursuit family, the pursuit exists to glorify Jesus and in doing so, bring people into an encounter with the presence of God. Here's what's coming up here at Pursuit. Join us tomorrow night at 6 p.m. for our young adults service here in Pursuit Snohomish. This is the perfect event for those in our community aged 18 to 30 to meet new friends, worship, and grow together in community. For more information on this event, text SNOHOYA to 833-414- 3269. Hey Pursuit family, we have something really exciting happening this summer here at Pursuit. We're launching a new thing called the Summer Internship. We've always had it for our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, but this year we're opening it up to young adults and adults as well. Our Summer Internship program will have Bible teaching as well as practicum, meaning that you'll get to volunteer and serve and be a part of what God's doing here at Pursuit in an area that fits your interests. So if you're interested in growing in a creative field, if you wanna learn how to preach, as well as if you'd like to serve in kids men or youth men or even an admin, we have many options for you to get involved in our Summer Internship program. If you'd like to apply to join the summer internship, you can do so by going to the website here on the screen. Signups are due by the end of June, and we'd love for you to join and be a part of what God's doing here at The Pursuit. We want to remind you that there is no Pursuit Night tomorrow night, but make sure to join us June 20th at 6 p.m. for our last Pursuit Night of the season. Dinner and childcare will be provided, as well as an opportunity to meet the pastors of Pursuit at our VIP experience and to sign up to serve in our community at our ministry fair. Mark your calendars for our summer worship night at Golden Gardens Bathhouse. On June 24th at 6 p.m., we are going to gather together and rattle the region to worship. We can't wait to see you there. Hey, Pursuit Women, we're excited to announce that we're hosting a Bible study here at the church July 11th through August 22nd at 6 p.m. We'll be gathering together as women to walk through the book Trustworthy by Lisa Turkers. Registration is required for these nights, so make sure you go to the PursuitNW.com ministries to sign up today. You don't want to miss it. There is a place for you to serve here at Pursuit Snohomish and at our Seattle campus. From greeting to operating a camera, we want you to sign up and serve today. 
You can do so by going to thepursuitnw.com slash connect or head to our info booth on the way out. That's all the announcements we have for you today. Thank you again for joining us here this Sunday at Pursuit. If you haven't done so already, make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on all of our social media platforms at The Pursuit Snohomish and visit our website, thepursuitnw.com slash calendar for events that are coming up. Hey, Pursuit family, thank you so much for all of your financial support and prayers. This community is continually blessed by the faithful giving of God's people, and we could not do church without your generosity. There's a couple ways that you can give today. On the screen here, you can text to give, you can give online through our website, or use the envelope in your seat back to come forward and put your tithe or offering in the bucket. In a few moments, the band will start to play, and that will signify your opportunity to get out of your seat and come forward to give. Thanks again for faithfully sowing into our church, and we'll see you all next weekend. Hey friends, my name is Donnie. Welcome and thank you for making The Pursuit your home. Let us know your name and where you're watching from. Also, help us build community with you by commenting below. Prayer, celebration, and connection, they all happen in the chat. And there are many ways to get involved at Pursuit, even if you're attending online. Go on our website, thepursuitnw.com, and click Membership and select Online Campus. And as an online member, we will send you weekly emails with discipleship resources, sermon notes, and behind-the-scenes videos. Help us reach more people by liking, subscribing, and sharing this broadcast. Now let's jump back into the service and hear a powerful message from Pastor Russell. Hey, glad to have you uh, in the house of God uh, with us uh, this morning. Uh, man, we're just excited and uh, privileged to play a small part in what God is doing so much more broadly across this region. And uh, you and I get to gather every Sunday morning and just continue to celebrate all of the great things that, in fact, uh, he has done. I know many of you joined us uh, last uh, week for our Sunday night preview service uh, in Seattle. It was really an incredible time in the presence of God. And uh, not only do we see so many folks baptized uh, in the Holy Spirit, but uh, as now has become a normal part of our services, we ended the night with spontaneous baptisms in the Puget Sound. It was freezing cold. And in fact, that is why my hair is the color it is. The water just immediately, <clears throat> it turned it white and uh, tried to survive the uh, ensuing pneumonia. But anyways, uh, man, it was just incredible to see uh, all of what uh, God uh, had done. Probably my favorite encounter on Sunday night was a couple that I didn't recognize. They came up to me uh, in the altar area and they said, uh, we flew up from Houston today. We're pastors in Houston. We flew up from Houston because we heard there's revival in Seattle. And they said, would you just lay hands on us? Would you just impart some of the fire that you have to us? And I don't know if you've seen airline tickets lately. It's not cheap. And so they spent real money. They preached at their church Sunday morning, got on a plane and made it just in time for our Seattle preview service. And so we have folks, it's actually the fulfillment of a prophetic word we got from Dr. Michael Maiden just a number of months ago. He said, what God is gonna do here is gonna be so special that you'll have pastors flying in from around the nation just to be a part, just to receive prayer. And when Maiden said that to me, I thought to myself, you know, when you get a prophetic word, and you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure, thanks, you know, whatever. Uh, but the Bible says that when God releases a word, it never returns void. It accomplishes, watch, everything it's been sent forth to do. 
And so uh, we, are, we are living in days that have been prayed for and prophesied about. We had folks driving up from Northern California 14, 15 hours just to be a part of the revival service. Another crew came from Portland, another crew from the Midwest. We've got folks who are just hearing. They're hearing the reports of what God is doing. And I love it. Sometimes I'll be praying for folks and they'll go, who are you? And I'll go, well, I'm the lead pastor. And they go, we didn't even know it was you. We just heard that there was revival in Seattle. And I thought to myself, man, that is the highest compliment I could ever receive. They're not saying, hey, we're coming in to see you. Or we're coming in because we heard you preach well. Or we're coming in because we heard you do crazy things. They're saying, we heard about the revival in Seattle. We're just here for somebody to lay hands on us and just believe for God's best in our life. And so, anyways, thank you for being a part. Thank you for sowing into that. And uh, this is our tagline. And has been our tagline over the last year. If God can do it in Snohomish, he can do it in Seattle. And so Seattle will not be the last campus we plant. It'll be the first campus we plant. God is going to open doors in central Washington. He's going to open doors in eastern Washington. We are getting emails every week from different groups of people who are holding house church meetings watching the live stream. Asking, when can we have a campus? When can you open up a facility here? We got a barn you could use. We got an outbuilding that you could use. You could use my property. When, when can we have that here? And so, man, friends, it's a privilege to be in church. It just is. It's a privilege to be a part of something that is as special as what God is doing here. You hear me say it all the time, but I'm gonna repeat it. It is not special because of us. It is special because of him. And so we are focused on Jesus and what he is doing. The kingdom of God is advancing by force and the gates of hell will not, shall not, cannot prevail against us. Which means this, we are on offense, we are not on defense. We are not victims, we are overcomers. We are not conquered, we are conquerors. That is who we are in Jesus Christ. That is why you are here on mission with a mandate to do something for God in the Northwest. It was funny, last week, I didn't even report this uh, in the Sunday services because I didn't find out about it until the end of fifth service last week. But last week, our address got leaked online and they said that they were gathering a large Antifa protest to protest our location. I said, oh, you don't know Snohomish. I said, Snohomish is a well-regulated militia. You don't know Snohomish. (laughs) You don't know Snohomish. But see, my Bible says the wicked run when nobody chases them. They were supposed to protest yesterday. Not one single person showed up. Anyways, come on, conflict is a sign that you're right on course. You're right on action. You know, when things are too quiet, that's when it concerns me. When things are too quiet, too safe. Oh, pastor, we just don't want to rock the boat. We just don't want to disrupt anything. No, 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 no. The weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in battle for the pulling down of strongholds and the disrupting of principalities and powers. So I'm going to disrupt some things in the Northwest. Y'all ain't going to get rid of me. I'm here for the next 30 years to disrupt principalities and powers in the Northwest. The church of Jesus Christ has a reason to advance. Listen, darkness has had a hold on the Northwest for too long. So I'm going to make hell pay for the rest of my life for what the enemy has done to the Northwest. And they can send protesters and they can send rioters and they can send, they can send them, that's fine. They can send them, that's fine. I am unmoved by the conflict around me because the Prince of Peace sits on my heart inside of me. This is who we are. 
and this is who you are, and this is the type of church that you're in. If you want a church that's looking to play nice and play safe and never disrupt anything and hold a bunch of nasty church potlucks that nobody wants to show up for anyways and just barely pay the light bill, listen, we got a lot of churches like that in the region, but not here, not us, not now. We are going to do something for the kingdom of light and we are going to make hell pay for every young person that's OD'd, for every person who's been caught up in depression, for every person who's endured suicide and abuse and trauma. We are going to make the enemy pay for every young person that he has stolen out of this region. That is who we are and that is who you are and that is the type of church we are. We will make the enemy pay. I'm gonna go ahead and preach the hell right out of Snohomish. I'm gonna prophesy the hell right out of the Northwest. We are gonna be a force for good in the earth. And I want it to be known of this church. I want the question to be asked, who are these men and women who turn cities upside down? That is who we are. Just let me preach for a moment this morning. John 8. Now watch what the Bible says. records the story of Jesus interacting with a woman caught in the act of adultery. Some of you are familiar with this story, but just let me preach for a moment this morning. Now, early in the morning, Jesus went again. Watch, Jesus went again into the temple. All the people that came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Hear me, at least 18 different times in the first four gospels, it records that Jesus went again to the temple. 13 times in the gospels, it records that he went to the mountain to pray. Over and over again, the scripture uses the phrase, and Jesus taught the crowds as was his custom. Friend, that tells me this morning that you need some holy habits in your life that function as reoccurring anchor points that help ground your spiritual walk. That's why Paul says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. That's why Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. That's why Jesus prays, give us today our daily bread. That's why Luke records of the early church, they continued daily with one accord in the temple. And the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. See, when you develop a reoccurring habit, you don't need to depend on the emotion of the moment to dictate your decision. Watch, as soon as I get my paycheck, my tithe comes out first because I fear God more than I fear the Comcast bill because I fear God more than I fear the bank because what I fear most deserves my utmost honor and attention as it pertains to every detail of my life, including my finances. If I wait to tithe until I feel like tithing, guess what? I will never tithe. Because tithing isn't a natural habit, it's a supernatural habit. But I know that when I honor God with my first fruits, he will honor me with the abundance of heaven. For Paul says, my God will supply everything that I'm in need of according to his riches and glory. I don't wait till Sunday morning to decide whether or not I feel like coming to church because even as a pastor, I don't always feel like being here on a Sunday morning. But I've recognized that Sunday morning attendance is a Saturday night decision. And when I develop a healthy and a holy habit, it becomes an anchor point that helps ground my life. I am not simply driven by my emotions. My emotions can ride in the car, but they can't drive the car. My habits drive the car. The emotions, they sit next to me and I ground my life in the daily discipline of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I'm not even preaching about tithing this morning, but just let me make a note, friend. Tithing isn't generosity. It's obedience. I'm being real generous. No, you're being obedient. 
when it's above and beyond 10%, that's when you get into generosity. But obedience is my tithe. I was doing my taxes last year. My CPA said, oh, pastor, you've been real generous with the church. I said, no, I haven't. I've been obedient. Obedience is my foundation. And then sacrifice comes on top of the obedience that I already laid down. For obedience is better than sacrifice. It doesn't mean sacrifice doesn't happen. It means obedience comes first. And the supernatural habits that you must employ to live a life that honors God are not habits that generate out of the carnal mind or out of the natural mind, but instead out of the spiritual mind. It makes no sense to give. It makes no sense to be generous. It makes no sense to be faithful in the world system. But as believers, we are not a subculture of Babylon. We are a counterculture to Babylon. And our lives are grounded above. Sometimes people say, Fred, I can't ever change who I am. This is just the way that I was born. But Fred, your life is the result of your habits. And even if this was the way that you were born, the mandate of scripture is that you be born again. You know the best time to plant a tree? Yesterday. You know the second best time to plant a tree? Today. And it don't matter how old you are, what you've seen, what you've gone through. Friend, you are never too old to have God start a fresh chapter in the book of your life. Jesus went again to the temple. Do you know what the temple represented to Jesus? It was the place where they tried to stone him. He was thrown out of the temple multiple times. They accused him of being demonized in the temple. And you thought this church was difficult. Hear me. Nobody has been hurt more by church than Jesus and he still shows up. The other day, Lighty, somebody left a one-star Google review on the church's uh, 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 Google search. One-star Google review. I love the one-star reviews. I love to see what people complain about. I looked it up. They said, I went to this church two years ago, and they offered coffee and pastries in the foyer, and I showed up today, and there's no coffee, and there is no pastries, and what type of church is this? And I thought to myself, we have such a low bar for what we think is inconvenience or persecution. They try to kill Jesus in the temple. And yet being in the temple is such a holy habit that they can throw him out and he's coming back again the next day. Listen, church hurt is real. But can we stop confusing church inconvenience with church hurt? Can we stop building altars to our trauma as a reason for why we disobey the command to engage with God's people? Now watch, just let me preach for a moment. The Bible says this. The scribes and the Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had sat her in his midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In fact, she was caught in the very act. Isn't it funny that the same enemy who tempts you to sin is the exact same enemy who becomes your loudest voice of condemnation and accusation when you sin? Satan says, don't you see what they did? And Jesus says, but don't you see what I've done? Satan says, look at all their mistakes. And Jesus responds, but look at all of my grace and all of my mercy. Let's be honest. Do you know why the Pharisees knew right where to find this woman? Because they probably had several of their own members who were sleeping with her as well. 
But here lies the Pharisees' first mistake. They forgot anything that ends up in the midst of Jesus is fundamentally transformed for the better. See, some of you are afraid to approach Christ thinking you're going to receive judgment, condemnation, and punishment. But my Bible says if an evil father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more does the heavenly father know how to give unto us? Friend, fear is the result of insecurity over what you're going to receive. But there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out all fear. Unwittingly, the religious class is bringing this woman to the one person who can heal her, redeem her, forgive her, empower her, transform her, and restore restore her. And this is why the enemy hates when you draw near to Christ, when you draw near to church, when you draw near to his presence, because it is an atmosphere where transformation happens. Now watch. The Bible says this in verse five, the Pharisees tell Jesus, now Moses in the law commanded us that such a person be stoned. But what do you say? Hear me. It wasn't that the law of Moses was wrong. It was that the law of Moses was incomplete. The law could only punish wrongdoing, but it couldn't compel righteousness. The law said you are a sinner, but it never showed you how to be a saint. But Paul tells us the purpose of the law in Galatians 3. He says the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. The law produces chaos. The law produces cycles of sin. The law produces insanity, but only Christ can bring you the type of peace that causes you to desire righteousness out of relationship instead of out of duty. The law was the expression of what Paul says, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus is the expression of what Paul promises. But the gift of God is eternal life. Friend, I've got no patience for dead theology. You cannot be made righteous by law keeping. You cannot be made righteous by festival keeping. You cannot be made righteous by Sabbath observing. You can only be made righteous by King Jesus. Now watch what Paul says. I love this in Hebrews 7. He says, therefore... Christ is able once and forever to completely save those who come to God through him, for he lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless and he is unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest honor in heaven. And Jesus has done this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for people's sin. Which, friend, simply means this this morning. Your life has been interrupted by the cross. Hear me. I think sometimes in charismatic environments, we give too much power to generational curses. Now, I believe that there are things that can be passed down through your family lineage. Now, I believe that there are proclivities and preferences and even sin issues that people can struggle with that exist in your bloodline. But I am more convinced of God's power to save you than the enemy's ability to deceive you because the cross has interrupted your story. Which tells me this this morning, Fred, you might have come from abuse. 
You might have come from addiction. You might have come from abandonment. You might have come from dysfunction. You might have come from divorce. You might have come out of a family with mental health issues. You might have come from a line of folks who have committed suicide. But in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus and the cross has interrupted your story. And now on the other side of the cross, you have healing, you have wholeness, and you have freedom because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf, friend. The cross has interrupted your story. And here's what I love. See, the Bible says that you got to pick up your cross and follow him. It says not only do you got to pick up your cross, but you got to do it daily. You got to put it on your back and you got to follow Jesus. And you know the reason why you wear your cross on your back? Because when abuse, addiction, and abandonment tries to catch up with your story, what it sees is the blood of a lamb who has made you different because it speaks a better word about every condition in your life. My past stares at the cross. My present stares at the throne. My future is secured in heaven because in the fullness of time, his cross interrupted my story. Mom, can't you see the miracle of what Jesus has done in your life? Whether you ever get that item on your prayer list answered, whether you ever get that miracle you've been hoping for, whether ever you see that situation turn around that you're believing God for, if all Jesus ever did was die on the cross on your behalf, friend, it's enough. The Bible says he despised the shame. He endured the cross and he has sat down at the right hand of the Father and now has been given the highest name in all of creation. The cross has interrupted your story. I love baptizing people here. They'll tell me things like this. Pastor, I'm the first Christian in my family. I'm the first person to be baptized in my family line. I'm the first person to graduate high school. I'm the first person to stay married. I'm the first person to go to college. I'm the first person to hold down a steady job. I'm the first person to find myself committed to a local church. I can't explain the joy that I have as a pastor when I see the testimony of people who have been so impacted by the cross that their past bows in reverence to the supremacy of Jesus. The cross has interrupted your story. You should be dead. You should be gone. You should be lost in prodigal living. Statistically, you should be a product of your past. But the cross has interrupted your story. And there has never been a better testimony than a person who has been forgiven much, so in turn they love much because of what the cross has done on their behalf. Friend, Jesus was the great high priest. We have entered into right relationship with the Father through the torn veil of his flesh. Today we are seated in heavenly places as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What the law couldn't produce for 4,000 years, Jesus produced in one moment when he hung on a wooden tree and declared it is finished. He wiped out the handwriting of requirements against your life and declared that from that moment forward, every claim the enemies had against your life would be null and void. Oh, the cross has interrupted your story. You know, all of us could look back a time or two in our family line and find things that we're not so proud of. And that's just what it means to be human. But never allow your history 
to become a louder voice than your future. Friend, there's a reason why you don't drive the car looking out the review mirror. Because where you are going is more important than where you have been. And that's why Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind. I press forward to those things which are ahead. And in doing so, I lay hold of that which Christ has also laid hold of for me. The cross is not just your witness. The cross is your weapon. Hear me, the cross, it's your weapon. For Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Paul says three things. The cross, it pulls down strongholds. That word strongholds in the Greek translates to false arguments in which you seek shelter. Paul says, number two, the cross, it'll cause you to cast down imaginations. That word imaginations in the Greek is personal opinions and values that are opposed to Christ. And Paul says the cross, it brings down every thought into captivity. And in the Greek, that word thought means every mental perception or idea that doesn't originate from above. Friend, until the cross is the lens by which you view the world around you, you will operate in powerless Christianity that makes you a victim of your circumstance instead of an overcomer in your life. I look through the cross and recognize I have forgiveness. I look through the cross and recognize I have authority. I look through the cross and recognize that I have anointing. I was 18 when I entered in to Seattle Bible College working on my bachelor's in biblical studies degree and you are never so broke as you are when you are your first year in Bible college. I remember there was this local bar that allowed us to go in and on Tuesday nights they had unlimited all-you-can-eat tacos for $4.99. And listen, when you broke, all you can eat is like manna from heaven. On Tuesday nights, we would eat so much, it would carry us through till the next Tuesday night, by which we could afford to scrape up some loose quarters and buy ourselves into all-you-can-eat tacos once again. I'll never forget this old jukebox that sat in the corner of this dirty bar. And people would just go up, and they'd put money in, and they'd select songs, the top 40, whatever it is, and... They'd play all sorts of music. Obviously, it wasn't Christian, but we were just hungry. We didn't care. I'll never forget the day that I walked into this bar and the bar owner had splurged on a brand new jukebox. And this jukebox did something different, something strange, something that I hadn't seen any other jukebox do before. It connected to the internet and it allowed you to play any song that your heart so desired. I thought to myself, oh God, this is a setup just for me. <laughs> we were sitting in the bar, Lighty, they was playing Guns N' Roses. They was playing Bon Jovi, Metallica, Nirvana, Radiohead, Green Day, and whoever was in the bar on this day, they loved that ACDC song, Highway to Hell. <laughs> now listen, we were broke. 
but I wasn't so broke that I still couldn't have a little fun. As soon as Highway to Hell was done playing, I gathered up the spare change I had. I went over to that jukebox mas machine and they had a little search bar. You could search any music to your heart's desire. And I just thought to myself, I just had this strange thought. I thought to myself, I wonder if they have Hillsong. I wonder if they have Hillsong. They did. <laughs> they did. I'm sitting in this bar, all these grown dudes, 40, 50 years old, stuffing their face, listening to the rock of the glory years, 80s and 90s, and we just got done listening to Highway to Hell, and I thought to myself, I cannot pass up an opportunity to have fun. So I got on there and I started searching Hillsong United, and I found the most slow, melodramatic worship song I could. I put $10 into that machine. I played it four times in a row. <laughs> you know what song it was? Lead me to the cross. As soon as I started playing it, guys started yelling in the bar, who put on this music? <laughs> me. What are you doing? Bring back ACDC. I said, you'll wait in four turns. You can have your, your music back, but... Listen, I kid you not, for the next three months, I harassed that bar so much, they traded out the new jukebox for their old jukebox because they were so tired of me playing worship songs. One time I brought $10, God is my witness. I played, he's got the whole world in his hands for 30 minutes straight. <laughs> Here's what I love. All of a sudden, an entire room got interrupted by the message of the cross. And that is my hope for you this morning. In the busyness of your own life, in the complicated messaging that is equivocating in, in the hallways of your own mind, in the midst of a culture that is so busy sending its messages and you receiving those messages day and night, that just for a moment this morning, your life could be interrupted by both the beauty and the tragedy of that old rugged cross because it is both a bloody cross and an empty tomb that testifies to a risen Jesus who sits on a real throne who is coming back real soon for a victorious bride and a victorious church and friend you must be interrupted by the cross Watch, they said this to Jesus, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And, and when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. The Bible says those who heard it, they were convicted by their conscience and they went out one by one. And Jesus was left alone and the woman was standing in his midst. And when Jesus raised himself up and he saw no one but the woman, he said to him, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now watch. This woman's sexual issues were the result of her identity issues. That's why Jesus addresses the condemnation first and the immorality second. 
See, the Bible speaks strongly about the sexual ethic of Christ followers. But hear me, you can cut off bad fruit all day long, but until you deal with root issues in your life, that fruit will always find a way to grow itself back. Hear me, the issue isn't your addiction fruit, it's your trauma root. The issue isn't your anger fruit, it's your abuse root. The issue isn't your divorce fruit, it's your family system dysfunction root. The issue isn't your loneliness fruit, it's your abandonment root. Jesus doesn't end with saying, I don't condemn you. He begins with saying, I don't condemn you. Here's the reason why. Christ doesn't condemn us because his love is an open door into even greater transformation. Jesus isn't excusing her sexual sin. He is providing a pathway for her healing that will result in her sexual purity. The root was shame and identity. The fruit was confusion and adultery. But the answer was Jesus and his grace. Let me in here. Watch, I love this. We don't know who the woman is in John 8 because she is unnamed. So we have to rely on church tradition to fill in the blanks. Now I can't say this for 100% certainty, but I can tell you what church historians believe about John 8. They believe that the woman in John 8 is Mary Magdalene. One of the few disciples who makes it to the foot of the cross. The first disciple to make it to the empty tomb. The first disciple to preach to the other 12 the reality of the risen Jesus. One who had been so profoundly impacted by the grace and the mercy and the reality of Christ's cross that she goes down in history as one of his closest and most famous followers. The one who anoints the feet of Jesus and the perfume fills the entire house. The one who Jesus says of your worship will be a monument to all generations. Here's the reality, friend. You and I oftentimes read scripture through only a historical lens. But I want you to know today, you were the woman caught in the act of adultery. I was the woman caught in the act of adultery. I deserved punishment for my sin. I deserved ostracization from the community I was a part of. I deserved shame and condemnation. But when I was in the dirt, Jesus interrupted my story with his cross and my life has never been the same. That's who you are. That's who I am. And that's the Jesus that we serve. Come on, would you stand with me as we close this morning? Come on, let me pray for you. Come on, let me encourage you today. You are what Jesus says you are. You have what Jesus says you have. You can do what Jesus says you can do. And your past is no match for his grace and his mercy, which is still interrupting stories all across this room. Fred, we have been interrupted by the cross. And it was the best interruption that you could ever imagine. He took my pain. He took my place. He took my cross. He took my shame. And today I am the righteousness of God because the cross has interrupted my story. That's what it means to be a believer. 
That's what it means to be forgiven. That's what it means to be filled with God's Spirit, living a righteous life. You have been interrupted by a cross. Your life has never been the same. Come on, could you add your faith to mine this morning and believe that we're going to interrupt the Northwest with a bloody cross? We're going to interrupt the next generation with a bloody cross. We're going to interrupt generations that aren't even born yet with an empty cross. We're going to plant a cross in Snohomish. We're going to plant one in Seattle. We're going to plant crosses all across this state. And they are going to serve as prophetic signs that God's interruptions are the best interruptions that you could ever have. Friend, that's who we are. Let me pray. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask for your ever-present help in time of need. God, I thank you that you have interrupted our sin and our shame with your blood and your atonement. That today I'm seated in the heavenly place. If you are in the Seattle area, we would love to meet you in person. We have services every Sunday at 8, 9, 15, 10, 30, 11, 45, and 1 here in Snohomish, Washington. If you would like to be more connected to Pursuit, we would encourage you to become a member by going to our website, thepursuitnw.com. You'll find information on how to become a member, ways to give, and all the events happening here at Pursuit. Again, thank you for joining us today, and we can't wait to see you next week.